Hey everyone, I'm Gracie and welcome back to the Graceful Military Child podcast. The world should know how unique military children are. We may look like normal children on the outside, but we go through some pretty extraordinary circumstances that shape us to the leaders we are today. I am super excited to continue on with our No Greater Sacrifice series, sharing the stories of military children whose loved ones were critically wounded or fallen in action. I hope you find inspiration from these scholars that just because a traumatic situation may happen, you are still able to achieve your hopes and dreams. Well, hi, Audrey. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm super excited to have you on as another NGS scholar and, you know, having your sisters on. So I'm excited to hear your point of view of the story. Yes, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to share a little bit of our journey. Yes. So tell me, give me like a brief rundown of your dad um, and his military service. Okay. So my dad was career military. Um, He graduated from Mizzou and he joined the military and he had, you know, his plans were to spend his life in the military. So we, I was born in Germany um, and then we kind of moved did we lived in Georgia after and then Kansas and then wound up in Texas, which is where we ended up and we never left. And so he, let's see, post, I mean, post 9-11, he was deployed three times. And his first tour, I was in second grade. So 2003, 2004 timeframe and typical deployment. It was, you know, the very beginning of everything kind of. So yeah, it was, it was one of the long ones. It was um, definitely, that was, it was a tough one just because he was gone. We were like so young. I was in second grade. My older sister was in third grade. My little sister was, ooh, she's still in preschool. So, um, and then came back, was home. And then he deployed again believe around fifth grade and that deployment he it would have been January after he had deployed so about six months into his tour he suffered a gunshot wound to his left deltoid muscle and came home rehabbed here in at Fort Hood and spent a little bit of time in the hospital was home for a little bit and then he ultimately decided to go back and finish the tour with his, um, with his guys. And then he came home from that deployment and, you know, went back to the normal military life, went to work, came home, was around. And then I would have been seventh grade. Um, so it would have been between like my seventh, eighth grade year when he got wounded, but seventh grade, so 2000 and Nine, he, um, in June, he suffered a bilateral amputation of both of his legs from an an explosion. (laughs) Um, So he was, um, during this time, like they, his battalion was signing back, like helping the Iraqi government transition back to kind of running their own government in their own cities. And so he was, they had these signings to sign 
the city he was working in back over. And so he was headed to a signing and all of a sudden an explosion happens and he knew he was severely wounded and kind of what he, like when he tells us, he's like, I just looked down and I remember seeing my rifle in pieces and was like, that's not supposed to be that way. So then we go through the whole, I mean, that's really, I would say like, I mean, leading up to this point, like we had a pretty typical military experience. Like we moved, we made new friends, we lived in on post and, you know, we lived the typical military child lifestyle. Right. And then this happens. And I feel like this just opened a whole new military lifestyle for us. And it really, I mean, seventh, eighth grade, like prior to that, like your kid, you have very little worries. And then this happens and you are so aware of what's happening and what's going on. It does. And so at that point, it just, I mean, it was tough. So he got wounded and it was pretty touch or go for a while. Um, just on like the Iraq side of things, he struggled. Um, so he, there was a bad sandstorm that day. So they weren't able to fly him. Um, so they had to drive him to get him medical attention. So that was already, you know, kind of one of those like dicey situations. Um, he had a lot of, you know, they went straight into surgery in Iraq and worked on him, then moved him to Germany and stabilized him there. And then he made it back to Walter Reed. And that's where at that point, my mom had left to go be with him. So then from like the home side of things, like we, I mean, we previously have my, like I mentioned earlier, my dad had been wounded once before. Um, and it was a gunshot wound to his left deltoid. And I mean, at the time that was scary too. Like we, our dad was in war and we came, we got a knock on the front door and we didn't really quite know what was, you know, all the details of that, but we had a community people that were behind us who supported us and who were there with us every step of the way. So we kind of made it through that one. And then here we are a couple of years later with another knock on the door. And this one, you could just tell. So like my mom, like my mom went outside and we were watching from the inside of the house, just trying to figure out like, it's a Sunday morning. We're getting ready for church. Like who are these people knocking on our door and what's going on? And compared to like the first time we got this knock on the door, like my mom's demeanor was completely different. And um, I just vividly remember like my older sister and I were sitting in her room, like kind of peeking out of the blinds, trying to figure out who was here, why they were here, what was going on. And I just remember like my mom was sitting on like the like bricks surrounding like the flower bed and her like head like was just in her hands and she was just like, like you could tell it was bad. And at that point, like we're kind of freaking out. Like we're like, what is happening? Like, like it has to be something with our dad because like, why would there be military people at our house? Like he's not even home, but 
not knowing the extent of it. So right. she kind of like, you know, gathers it herself and comes inside. And at that point, she explains to us, like, your dad's been severely wounded. Um, yeah. From what I, and I could remember this a little bit differently, but I believe like at that point they had known he was going to lose one of his legs, but they didn't quite know about the other. They weren't sure like how like much of the leg he was going to have to lose. And so it was just like very, like, you know, we kind of didn't have all the information um, because nobody besides the people there really had all the information. Um, so I just, that day was just a blur of a day. Like we had the news on and um, because of what they were doing over in Iraq and signing the city back over, there was a lot of news coverage in general already. And so we had the news on all day and we just had like people like coming in and out of the house, like bringing food and praying with us. And I mean, we had once again, a, such a great support system who were there backing us ready to, you know, go through this journey with us. Um, and so I just remember that at one point, like my dad's face pops up on the news and when faces pop up on the news, like at that point, that that kind of was like, they're not, they're not live. So, you know, it was not good. And so I just remember my mom like jumped up and turns on the TV and it was just like, they were kind of covering like him getting hurt and everything. And so also within the next couple of days, we were supposed to be leaving to go to my grandparents in Missouri. So my mom knew at that point she was going to have to fly to these or to, she, she wasn't sure she's going to have to fly to Germany or she was going to have to go to DC. So she put us on a plane to Missouri in June and we were like, we left and she left to go to DC. And that was, that was it. Like the, and this is, I mean, 2009. So long before FaceTime was a thing and, or really video chatting or anything like that. So right here we are in Missouri with our grandparents and like, such a great time to be with family and, and then she's in DC. And so we talk, you know, all day, every day for the most part, like she calls us and we call her and she's giving us all the information and updates, but like all the information, I say all, but like what we could handle at that age. And, um, it was, I mean, it was tough. Like he was there in the hospital in DC all summer. We, weren't able to go up there to visit or see him. Um, and it was pretty tetragir for a while. He, I mean, they like experienced just about everything that could go wrong. It seemed like, like he spent quite a bit of time in the ICU, quite a bit of time, you know, needing oxygen and respiratory support. Um, he couldn't keep anything down. Couldn't eat, had, you know, lost a ton of weight and everything. And so it was just, it was a really trying time, um, to be at home. And then like, once we got home from Missouri, like we just had family members and friends rotate through caring for us for about a week at a time. So every week we had new caregivers, which 
that's not super like our lives have already been like flipped upside down. And then it was the best we could have done, but it's not super stable for us. And then my mom's in DC and she's, you know, not working and she's just caring for my dad and she's doing, you know, trying to care for us, but also he needs her more than we do at that point. So I just, that summer, I mean, it was, it was long and it was hard. And Abby was, Abby was still in elementary school and like we all three just had very different ways of dealing with it. I was definitely the more like emotional one when it came to it all. Like my dad and I have always had like a very special bond. He always says I'm the son he never had. <laughs> it was hard. I mean, it was hard. Like I definitely took it harder, like emotionally. Um, and Anna just had different ways of coping with it. And she just like, her feelings were just like, you know, she kind of wanted to go out and do like hang out with her friends, which is, you know, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But it was just like, we, all three of us had just very different ways. And then Abby, the youngest, she was just super clingy to me. So like, if I tried to leave the house to go to a friend's house, like she, like she would be crying and I would come home. Like we slept together every single night. My dad was like, my mom was gone because she just like, I was her, like her comfort at that time. And here's the little girl who had never been away from our mom. And now she's spent months away from our mom. And like my mom came home the first time we saw my mom. So in June, the first time we saw her was for two days in August for my birthday. She flew home and then flew straight back to DC. And then at the end of August was, it was either end of August or beginning of September. He, um, they were flying him back to BMC in San Antonio. And so um, they were saying like, they called us and they said they had to stop in, at Fort Hood to, I think they were, you know, bringing somebody else here. They had to stop at Fort Hood. And so we were able to go out to the airfield to see him. And I don't think anything could have prepared like us for that day. Like that was probably the worst part of like being separated was just that first time seeing him because he went from being 225 pounds, you know, the last time we saw him 225 pounds waving at a bus, waving, you know, watching him walk away, going to deployment. And the next time we see him, he was 105 pounds, um, no legs, which that was the least of the lack of legs was the least of the, like shock to seeing him. He was just so skinny. He like was, had been so nauseous. He had acupuncture all over his ears. Like it was just like, not any way that any kid wants to see their parent and, um, and their dad on top of it, like, who's this been this big, like, you know, muscular, like dad that looks like he could protect any of us. And now he looks so sickly. And I mean, looks probably on the verge of like, you know, like he was dying, like he didn't look okay. Um, and that like, I cried the entire time because I just couldn't like that. It didn't look like my dad, it, you know, it wasn't, 
and it was him. And, but it was just hard. Like you don't ever want to see your parent like that. Um, And especially knowing what all he had endured the whole summer before that, you know, prior to this. So then he comes back to San Antonio and he is in the hospital for a little while. And my mom's down there staying um, in San Antonio with him. So we had still family members staying with us at this point, like our grandparents, once school started, our grandparents came and they stayed until my mom was able to come home. Um, but we, so we would go down there and visit him in the hospital, which was, it was such a blessing for him to be back and us to be able to go spend time as a family on the weekends with our mom and our dad. And she would take breaks from the hospital and take us to go do things that kind of just made it a little bit more normal. Um, so then he got out of the hospital and they transitioned to him doing all his rehab down at the CFI in San Antonio. Um, and at that point, my mom started to transition, like moving herself back to here. So he stayed in San Antonio and she would go down every, for the most part, she went down Monday, Wednesday, Friday, every day. Um, so to take him food, she would cook food at home and take him meals for the week. And then on Friday, she would bring him home. And on Monday, she would take him back for therapy for the week. Um, so, and that, that last, you know, lasted for a while and then he would started driving and he was able to start commuting himself. So pretty much for the next few years, it looked like all week long, it was our mom and us at home. And then on the weekends, he would get to come home and that's what we did for probably two or three years. Um, and then once he graduated from rehab, we, he came back to Fort Hood. He briefly moved away for a little bit for the military, but he came back and he just had, you know, a desk job, stayed in the military for a little bit longer, and then ultimately ended up retiring. And just because a desk job, when you've been in infantry, it's not the same. No, it's not. (laughs) And, but that's kind of it. So 26 years after he joined, he finally retired and then we've, you know, settled here, <laughs> settled here in Texas. So that's been kind of the, the journey of, you know, that we've seen. So. And what a story to tell, like from beginning to end, like, and I'm sure you left out like, you know, quite a bit of detail still there, like condensing it down, but still what a story to tell. Yeah, it was definitely it, it's been crazy. It's been such a wild journey. Um, but there's a weird like sense of like gratefulness and thankfulness. Um, just because we've got like, we've gotten time that, you know, we might, we didn't know we were going to have with him. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, at that point, like when he was so sick, we didn't know, like, there were times we didn't think we would see him again. And so I think it definitely makes you more thankful for the time you have with, to get to make more memories and do things. Um, so it's been a journey, but one that 
I wouldn't wish on anybody, but now that we've walked it, I wouldn't trade it either. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, any, you know, most kids who grow up or have these sort of situations, it's like, you wouldn't wish it on anyone, but you get so many more experiences, so many more, you know, even life lessons, more resiliency than, Mm -hmm. you know, even the, another military kid who hasn't been through these situations. Yes, I agree. We always say that dad's injury was a blessing in disguise because it removed us from situations that we would have had to deal with that, you know, weren't the best for us, especially in our education. Mm-hmm. Um, our schools were going downhill and we were about to just have math and reading and five hour school days and go home. That was it. That would have been our school day. And he got hurt right before it was going to happen. And we moved to San Antonio where... You know, we had all everything that we could have ever imagined and more in school. Yeah. So there's, it's such a hard situation to deal with, but there are so many blessings that come out of it that you wouldn't even imagine, Yeah. you know, happening. I would say like the one, so when my dad retired in his retirement ceremony, he, and I just remember him saying like, this was the biggest blessing that could have ever happened to me because I got so much more time with my kids than I ever had before while we were still, you know, at home. And he like, he was a career military guy. He, that didn't make him a bad dad at all. He was a great dad, but his career was, you know, he, spent a lot of nights working. He spent a lot of mornings getting up early and going to work. And he was there as much as he could. And he was there when he could be, but he worked long hours. He was deployed. So, and our mom was always the one that took us to practices or things because he was working and it like the injury made him present. He was there because he didn't have to work long hours anymore. Um, and we got so many more memories and time together and things that we would have, we wouldn't have had had he still been a career military man, like working long hours. Um, so I would say like, there was so much extra time that we got with him that just was such a blessing. Um, that I wouldn't trade for anything. So, but along with that comes a lot of things that, that have changed, um, that are hard pills to swallow when you get to those parts of your life. I would say like the, I mean, the hard parts is he can't do everything that he once was able to do. Um, so for instance, like when he was in San Antonio, there were, we had dance competition or my little sister had dance competition, one of us in San Antonio, and it was in a historic building, but historic buildings are not required to be handicap accessible. Right. Well, we didn't know that. Like he had just been injured. Yeah. Like we had no, you're clue. still trying to figure that out. Yes. We were just learning what handicap accessibility meant even like, yeah, we had no clue that he wasn't going to be able to come into this place. And not only that, but this building didn't have to be modified to fit his needs. So 
and he's still in the rehab. So like he was still, you know, working on his strength and getting it up. So he couldn't just do everything either. So we get in there and we're like, what that, like, what the heck, what are we going to do? Like, he's just, we're just going to have to take him back, I guess. And at that point, but whereas it was so frustrating and disappointing, there were so many people who came around us, like people that we didn't even know that were like, how can we help you get in here? Like, what can we do to help? And that was cool to see, but there are limitations to it. And so whereas there's a lot of blessings and a lot of time that we've gotten together, there are also a lot of limitations. And, and like another thing that I think just once the shock has worn off and, you know, time goes by and you, like, I've seen how my dad's mobility is or whatever. There are things like, will he ever be able to walk me down the aisle? Well, we have our first daddy daughter dance. And, and if we don't like, it's going to be okay. But those are the things that you look forward to as a little girl growing up. Like those are the things that you plan on. And so, um, like when I started looking for wedding venues, it was like, we wanted to find something where he didn't have to walk down like a grassy aisle. Like we didn't have to be in the grass because that's hard. Um, and then ultimately I picked a destination wedding and that was also a whole blessing because it was our first beach vacation as a family, 10 years after he got hurt. Um, and it was so cool because we went, he like, he's always sent us on the beach vacations. He stays back, Yeah. but we went and he enjoyed himself and he, we got him to participate and do things and go out on a sailboat and like things that he's always just said like, Oh, you know, I can't do, you know, we got him to do it. And then come wedding day, like he walked me down the aisle. There was a little drama involved in it, but <laughs> we did it like, and then we had our daddy daughter dance and it might've been just the sway in one spot, but still, those are the things that little girls look forward to. And those are the things that at one point we thought like this could be taken away from us. And, um, but we, you know, you always make it work. Yeah. You figure out a way you make it work, you make the best of it. Um, and that's what we did. And it was, and it ends up being, so much more of a blessing than it could have been before, like, you know, before it's way more special after the fact, but you just, you figure out ways to make it work. I feel like. Yeah. And I mean, we were just talking about Disney beforehand too, and that's a whole nother, you know, I mean, not to sound like I can't think of the word right now, but you know, it's a whole nother roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Like he, most of the rides when he first got hurt were not adapted like for him to be able to ride in his wheelchair. And so he, while it wasn't an issue as much for us as it may have been for others, he had to transfer from his wheelchair to the carts. And what if there was a day where he couldn't walk, he couldn't stand, then, you know, he couldn't do that ride and he had to miss out on it let alone yeah. with his TBI, you know, throwing him off. He can only do one roller coaster. If that, you know, per day with us where, you know, we used to go to water parks and 
you know, our first Disney trip as a family, like we did all these things together because it was, you know, it was the daddy daughter and, you know, it's just that family experience, but yeah, it changes with adaptability. It does. And I do feel like, you know, we've, when we do things, not that he's slow, but we do it at a slower pace. We, but also that's helped us slow down and enjoy the thing, you know, instead of rushing through it, we we're slower, but we enjoy it. We enjoy more time to get, you know, family time together. We get to enjoy a little slower paced life together, but it, we're all together and it's good. It's There's those things that you don't even think uh, that you have to think of, such as, you know, getting into those buildings or, you know, trying to find a wedding destination where you have, you know, room where he can comfortly walk you down the aisle or, you know, find a way where you can have that daddy daughter dance. Like there's so many things that you have to think of now where you wouldn't have had to think of before. Well, and another thing is just like with leaving the country for the wedding, like I didn't realize, like, I mean, you know, in, in my twenties, I didn't realize other countries don't have to have handicap accessibility. Right. And like though I always just thought like, okay, that's a standard thing. Like yeah. people are in wheelchairs all across the world. Like how I think it's do- standard. Yes. How does this not have to be a standard thing? And once again, like we went to another country and their idea of handicap accessibility is a little different than it is here, Yes, but we made it work and it was great and it was fun, but that's just a, I think that's a kind of a hard pill to swallow that like we can't do everything we want to because there's not like leaving the country, going other places, like they don't have the same requirements we have. And so things might not be accessible for him. So, you know, you just have to do a little bit more research and find what you can do to make it work. It's, it's a different lifestyle. So. Yeah. And you learn to live through that and adapt to it, you know, as you move forward. And there's always something that comes up that you wouldn't have think, thought of either. Yes. Yes. You're always learning through kind of what needs to happen. And, you know, even now that you're married and I'm still, you're, I'm sure you're still learning that, you know, different accommodations or, you know, things like that need to happen to ensure your dad's safety even. Yes, for sure. For sure. So. So tell me a little bit about how you guys got involved with No Greater Sacrifice and what they've done for you guys. So No Greater Sacrifice, like, I don't have enough good things to say about. I don't like just the organization as a whole and and not even that, but every individual that I've come across within No Greater Sacrifice, whether it be people on the board or you you know, mentors or families and children of fallen and severely wounded soldiers. Like I don't have enough words to say about no greater sacrifice, but so no greater sacrifice, um, initially came to us when my dad initially got wounded and my parents met them up in DC. 
And kind of one of the big things is they were like, your girls are going to college. They're going to be covered. Like you don't need to worry about their future. Like we will take care of their future. And, and talk about like a huge weight lifted off of everybody's shoulders. And like, we all like growing up, you know, my parents always encouraged us like, you know, going to college was like, you know, like set you up for such a great future. And like my parents have always like encouraged us to go to college. And so we all kind of knew and like had ideas, had thoughts of going to college, but no greater sacrifice made like all of our college dreams become a reality. Um, and on top of it made it to where we could graduate from college debt-free. And I think that is a huge weight lifted off of any child's shoulders. Um, but initially when they came to us, we were in middle school or early high school or elementary school. So at that time, like sure college was a thought, but like it wasn't priority. College was just a thought. Like it was a just thought, like no plans at that point. But I think like in that part of our life, no greater sacrifice gave us like a family of people who understood what we were walking through. And because we would, we started doing things with um, no greater sacrifice pretty quickly after that, like while maybe middle school and high school, like we started attending things with no greater sacrifice and meeting board members or um, meeting with Rebecca or Cannon and started, they mentored us through that phase of our life too, but it also gave us kids and other adults and people who just truly like have walked in our shoes where as a lot of our friends like military friends hadn't walked our shoes. So they don't, they didn't understand the things that we've struggled with or the things that we've walked through with our dad's journey. Um, but it was kind of like you get with these people and like, it just feels different. Like it feels like you're a family connected by something tragic happening in all of your lives. And and I always say like, this is not like, this is not something that anybody wants to be a part of. Like, this isn't something that people want to happen to them or wish, like, it's not a club that any kid wants to be a part of, but here we all are. And like, we've all accepted it and like, you know, had to learn from it, but it's just so like, so I think growing up, like it was just so cool to be with other kids who we like who've struggled in the same senses we have or have had different struggles but all related to their parent being wounded or fallen in war and so then though you know as we kind of got closer to college like the mentorship aspect of no greater sacrifice like really helped us like figuring out what we wanted to do with life where we wanted to go once we knew what we wanted, like figuring out scholarships and everything like that, like they truly did it all. Like they helped us with every little thing. I remember like my freshman year of college, like Rebecca was always just a phone call away 
like I would be having a freak out about school and what am I doing with my life? I don't want to do this. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I would call her crying and she would like talk me off the ledge of like, yeah, what am I doing with, why am I going to be a nurse? Because like, this is so hard. And just like the mentorship aspect of no greater sacrifice, like truly is unmatched. Like, I don't think you can find people out there who care more about another person's education than the people at no greater sacrifice. And then I just say like, it's like, it's truly a family. Like you can go like to any of those people for any given thing and they are there for you. And like, they all just want to see every single one of us succeed. And because here we are kids of wounded or fallen soldiers who have had to grow up long before we're supposed to. And like these people have set like such a heart for like us and seeing like just making like our life easier or less of a burden from college. And I don't like, there's just no way to ever like have enough thank yous for what no greater sacrifice has done for me and all these other kids who have been able to graduate or go to school debt-free because of other people's generosity. So, I mean, no greater sacrifices truly has become a family. And I mean, I know every single one of them are, you know, there's nothing more than like, they just want to see all of us successful and happy and not having to face hard times, you know, throughout college. And that's just truly amazing that there are so many people out there for us. Yeah. I love the mission of no greater sacrifice and just, you know, being a caregiver more or less at such a young age, or even in your teenage years, you don't necessarily think about college. It's, it's just a thought or it's not even a thought for some people. And no greater sacrifice just comes in and they're like, okay, well, what do you want to do? Like, what's the end goal? Because you can't do this for the rest of your life, really. Um, You need to start your own life and start your own journey as an adult now. And what do you want to do and how can we help you get there? And it's so special and it's such, such a family that comes around and you know, like you said, and like Rebecca says all the time, it's the club you never want to be a part of. Yes. Yes, I agree. And yeah, it's, I mean, in, you know, there are some kids who have had to be their parents' sole caregiver. And so I do think no greater sacrifice, like gives those kids not, not necessarily like a way out, but a way to see through their dreams too. Um, because I hate to say it, no kid's dream was ever to become their wounded parents care. Like no. that's never been a dream of any kid to have their parents severely wounded and to have to become their caregiver. And so I think no greater sacrifice just truly gives other kids, you know, a way to see through their dreams. And that, I mean, 
seriously amazing. It's so special. And just the connections that we form between you know, kids, like we hadn't met before. I met your dad when we were living in the Fisher house, but we hadn't met. And then, you know, a couple of weeks ago in DC, like, and you know, it's just those connections that you have between military kids and kids who have been through similar situations. Yes, I agree. And yeah, it's has a really good way of bringing everybody together. And I really love that. So Cause we've met, you know, we've met y'all and we've met other families from people who my dad, my parents had met down in the Fisher house or at the CFI. And it's truly cool. Like, it's so cool because like here are these people are like rehab's not an easy thing to go through. And like all these guys, you know, are vulnerable in rehab because they're relearning things that they've done their whole life, like walking or getting dressed. And, um, so I think it's really cool to see, like, to get to meet those people who my dad has struggled with and to get to meet other kids. And it's just a really cool organization that has a really awesome way of bringing everybody together. Yeah, I agree. And it's so special just to, you know, be brought together with these people and yes. Yeah, for sure. So, To wrap it up, what's one piece of advice you'd give to any military child, maybe who's been wounded, like whose parent has been wounded or not, or what's just one piece of advice you'd give? I say, I mean, the best thing I can say is make the most out of it. And like, look for the good in every situation and don't take it so seriously one of the biggest ways we cope with my dad being wounded is we make so many jokes or if you're my little sister, TikToks <laughs> with my dad, but it's what, it's what you make of it. So if you make the most of it and you look for the goodness in the situation, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it makes it easier. Um, Versus if you look for everything that's gone wrong, you can get into this super slippery slope of, you know, grief and sadness. And, but if, if you truly just find one good thing from the situation, then it could change a whole outlook on what you're going through. So for any like military kid or any kid who's had a wounded or fallen parent. It's not easy and it's not going to be easy, but if you can just find one thing to be thankful for, it'll make it a little bit easier. Yeah. And sometimes you can't even see that one good thing, but there's always like the smallest thing of, I woke up this morning. Like there's always something good that happens. And even if you you can look back on to like in the moment, I've talked about how thankful we were like about my dad and getting more time in the moment. Was I thankful? No. Was I angry and upset and confused as to why this would happen? Absolutely. But looking back on it, I can see how it was all like part of like God's plan for our life. And I can see how he worked through it all. But at the time I couldn't see that. I didn't understand that. 
Um, and so I do think like, you're not going to find the good, maybe all the good things at the time, but just to be able to look back and say like, and wow, we overcame that. Like, wow. Something that could have torn our family apart made us stronger. So yeah, there's not always going to be good at the time, but just being able to look back or make some, some sort of light of the situation. Thank you so much for being on and for sharing your dad's story and your story and everything that has happened and the good that's come out of it and just sharing that message of there's always something good. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. I, you know, I love to share my dad's, like, I love to share our journey because it's truly something that people don't see every day and not everybody really can fathom everything. So yeah, and you might see these guys walking around and you're like, oh my gosh, your life is over. Yeah. But no, it's not. There's so much more to life now than there ever was. Agreed. So. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I loved having you on. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Grace of a Military Child podcast. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to follow, like, share, subscribe, review, and comment. You can also follow us at Grace of Military Child Podcast on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more podcast-related content. If you or someone you know is a military child who would like to be featured on the podcast, please send us a message to one of our social media platforms or send us an email to grace.of.a.military.child at gmail.com. For more information on No Greater Sacrifice, you can go to nogreatersacrifice.org or send an email to info at nogreatersacrifice.org. Thank you and join us back next week for another inspiring story.